Welcome to Let It Roll, the insanely ambitious musical history podcast hosted by Nate Wilcox. We've covered the early history of rock and roll, country music in the 20th century, the rise of hip-hop, disco, and electronic dance music, and now heavy metal. Stay tuned for our histories of Broadway, opera, punk rock, jazz, blues, and gospel. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast, and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcasts.com. Today, Nate welcomes back Kit McIntosh to discuss Vibes Cartel, the imprisoned king of bashment and pioneer of auto-tuned psychedelia. Email us at letitrollpodcast at gmail.com. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. It's time to let it roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, and today we're welcoming back Kit McIntosh. We've talked to Kit before about his book, Neon Screams, how drill, trap, and bashment made music new again. And today we're going to zero in on one of the subjects of that book, Vibes Cartel the king of dance hall in Jamaica, the king in exile in prison. Kit, welcome back. Hi there. How are you? I'm doing well. Excited to be talking about Vibes Cartel, who is somebody I would frankly slept on before your book. But the more I learn about him, he's a very compelling figure who seems to be at the center of a number of developments that are impacting not just Jamaican music, but music all over the world, particularly in American hip hop. And so give us a quick bio of Vibes Cartel and why is he so important globally? Well, as you said, he's the king of dancehall, which is a Jamaican style of music. And he, uh, he's sort of been the dominant figure for the past maybe 15 years. He's been popular for longer than that, maybe around 20 years. And he's been this uh, serial innovator. And he's really been the figure who's kind of uh, constructed the sound of 21st century Jamaican music and I think it's probably been the most innovative and futuristic musician of the 21st century. Would it be fair to say if you've got a beef with face tattooed emo rappers that you should take it up with Vibes Cartel? Well, the tattoos probably, uh, probably yeah. yeah. And and the auto-tune. Well, the, yeah, I think uh, the auto-tune probably is a lot to, uh, lot to answer for. And as we see, tragically, young Thug's legal struggles in Atlanta, he seems to be an influence in another way with his criminal. Um, I, I, I guess I'm going to say criminal conduct, although I've gotten so cynical about the world and people that Vibes Cartel has been in prison since 2011, I want to say, or jail and in prison. He was convicted in 2014, acquitted on one murder, convicted on another. I could easily believe that he's been completely framed and it was absolutely innocent. But I could also, because of you know the Bill Cosby revelations, the Jimmy Savile revelations, I could also believe he's an utter fiend and actually did all this stuff. But um, quick comment on that: like, how? What's your general vibe on that? Do you think he's guilty of multiple murders, or has he been railroaded? Well. Uh... In Jamaica, a lot of his fans, a common phrase of his free world boss and people are, you know, people think he tried to try to sort of cast himself as a bit of a political prisoner. Um, I mean, the thing is, there was audio messages on a BlackBerry that were used in the court case and they got leaked 
where you do hear him and uh, one of his associates discussing, uh, you know, uh, violent reprisals for someone stealing his guns. So the evidence is pretty compelling in his case. Uh, unfortunate to hear, unfortunate to hear. And that was kind of the, the vibe I was getting. But let's backtrack a little bit. Like many Americans, I'm somewhat caught up on Jamaican music. If by caught up, you mean I'm aware of Bob Marley <laughs> in 1980. So, you know, Jamaican music developed ska and then reggae. Bob Marley conquers the world in the late 70s, early 80s. Dance hall then is the next form of the next dominant pop music form in Jamaica. Tell us about dancehall. When did it start? What distinguishes it from reggae? And is it still, I mean, why is it still called dancehall? Because what I'm hearing right now doesn't sound like what I was hearing in the mid 80s. Okay. So uh, I think dancehall is a very, very loose term. And I think what you could, you could use it really to describe kind of party music in Jamaica, the music that DJs would play out, that kind of thing. Uh, and I think it'd be defined by, it have kind of very prominent heavy drum sounds. Um, you're probably more likely for the vocals not to be sung, but toasted, which is basically the kind of Jamaican antecedent of rapping. And lyrically, you're more in line to sort of have a more gangsterish lyrics or more kind of sexually explicit lyrics rather than reggae, which tended to be a bit more kind of political and religious. Now, to your point about it sounding very different, we use dancehall almost as a kind of a genre terminology, but I think you're right. I think in the since the late 70s, all the different things we call dancehall, I'd, I'd argue they've really been about three genres. So I think from the late 70s to the uh, mid 80s, what people call dancehall was this quite muscular uh, reimagining of reggae, you know, kind of big beefy 80s drums and production. Then throughout the 90s and 2000s, you had genres that called ragga, sometimes bashment as well. Uh, and that that would moved away from reggae. That was much more based on kind of uh, these very syncopated drum patterns. And then I'd argue in the last 15 years or so, uh, a whole new genre has been born, even though we still call it dancehall. And I think this is far more oriented around the kind of extremities of the digitized voice. So artists, so kind of all the major artists are kind of finding a unique way of molding and reshaping autotune. And so I'd say. Vibes Cartel is the central figure in giving birth to this new genre. All right, and let's hear our first track. And, and I'm throwing a curveball. I know we talked offline about what songs you're going to pick, and I, I changed slightly. I want to go with one of the early tracks. This is Gun Session by Vibes Cartel. Let's hear it, and then I'm going to ask you about it. <laughs> And straight you think it's Hey, them boy they have no gun, them boy they have no rifle. Them collapse like twin tower, but I am the Eiffel. Them little life we stifle, call them want to take me title. So them I go dead, even if them run go in a Bible. You roll with Jesus Christ, me have 24 disciples. Take Ruga, Luga, Brico, Berita, Calico. That was Vibes Cartel's gun session from I want to say 2002. What should we be listening for there? Where is that in, in Vibe's career and in the overall Jamaican musical styles? So this is much more kind of traditional kind of 90s ragga bashment dancehall. So this is before his major kind of innovations. I think what's interesting about 
that track is the lyricism. So I'd, I'd say arguably what Cartel's done with uh, Jamaican music lyrically is he's taken some of the literary techniques more associated with American rap. So these kind of dense multisyllabic rhyme schemes, kind of these clever metaphors, that kind of thing. And so I think Cartel's really introduced that to Jamaican music um, and the generation of artists who followed him. Lyricism's become far more central, I think. And so I think with that track there, you do hear yeah, these clever metaphors, these kind of clever ways of he's, he's taken this, these nonsense syllables and then molded them to mean words at different times and this kind of thing. So, yeah, it's a kind of a good example of his, his early intrigue before he embraced autotune. And looking at his bio, one thing that's, that jumped out at me really quickly is Vibe is a lot older than I would have expected for somebody who's been, as you say, on the bleeding edge of musical innovation in the past 12 years. Dude's almost my age. Like, why did he get such a late start? And why do you think he's been able to keep innovating so late into his career? Like, what is it about him that's flexible like that, that very few artists do that? It's a very interesting question. I mean, in Jamaica, you do have this slight tradition. I mean, sometimes you have like these kind of child stars. Uh, but you, I mean, I think like the reggae artist Burning Spear, I think he was quite old when he got famous. But yeah, no, it's interesting with Cartel. I mean, one impression you do get from him uh, as an outsider is that he is this kind of ruthlessly Machiavellian driven guy, kind of this ginormous ego and really willing to do anything to maintain that. So you could argue it is just this absolute desire to thrive uh, meant that he kept trying even into his late 20s to get famous. He kept innovating, kept wanting to be the king of the dance who wants to be in the top you know, of Jamaican music. And so I guess that did just drive this constant desire to innovate. The suburb Portmore keeps coming up when I'm reading about him. What's Portmore? How's it different from Kingston? Where does Vibes fit in culturally? And how did he get his start in, in the in the dancehall scene in the 90s? Yeah, so Portmore, which in area he's kind of mythologized, he calls it Gaza. This is this, a sort of a population center just outside of Kingston, Jamaica. Uh, and this is where he grew up, though he was born in Kingston. Uh, and I guess, yeah, throughout the 90s, really, he was a, um, you know, he was sort of just a kind of a local artist on the Portmore circuit, probably doing things of releasing little mixtapes and things just within Portmore, not a national figure in Jamaica. Um, there was, and he had initially, I think his initial stage name was Addy Banton, which is in honor of a 90s artist called Buju Banton. Uh, Addy being referring to his first name, Adija. And, um, uh, but then at some point he joined, I think it was a trio of artists called Vibes Cartel, uh, which he then later nicked as his own name upon going solo, hence his slightly pluralistic moniker. That's Shades of Alice Cooper, who's on exactly, yeah, 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 <laughs> did the same thing. And one thing, another thing that jumps out is that reading about vibes, what you hear about his influences are people like Banton, Ninja Killer, Bounty, Bounty, uh, Bounty Killer, Ninja Man, sorry, uh, uh, you know, 90s dance hall guys. But to me, his demeanor, his lyricism, and his look screams like somebody who is a big fan of 90s american hip-hop was he and and was is that kind of his secret weapon that he was more tuned to what was going on in america than his competition well i think uh, jamaican music's always kind of a american music has a huge influence over jamaican music so if you think even the birth of scar was um 
you know, that was kind of, you know, the, a, a Jamaican reimagining of like uh, R&B. Really and yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, and, you know, you did have. And, like, I, and I want to put in a plug here. You and I are going to come back and talk about that history in future episodes. We hope so. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, and you did, you know, I think uh, like Bounty Killer, for example, who was Cartel's mentor, uh, Cartel's mentor. He, uh, he, he was hugely influenced by hip hop. He, I think he even had an album executive produced by RZA of Wu-Tang. So, uh, yeah, and I think Cartel's just a, a part of a huge long lineage of these American influenced Jamaican artists. Bounty Killer is pretty key to his story. How did that relationship start, and would you would it be fair to describe Vibes as a protege of of Bounty Killer? He's very much a protege. Just for people who don't know, Bounty Killer was one of the two biggest dancehall artists in Jamaica in the nineties. So it's him and his rival Beanie Man, and um, Bounty Killer kind of established his group. He called the Alliance. He himself he was the, he was the general, as he called himself. Um, and yeah, you had a, a kind of cartel. I guess in the late nineties, he he came under Bounty Killer's wing. And so I think your bounty killer was kind of putting in much more for a national audience, was taking them on tour. I think Cartel claims he was ghostwriting for Bounty Killer. You had uh, Cartel featuring on Bounty Killer tracks. This kind of paved the way for Cartel's uh, eventual big national breakthrough in the early 2000s. And so he has this commercial breakthrough under the wing of Bounty Killer and as part of the Alliance. And then he appears at this event called Sting 2003. Tell us about Sting what it is, and also Ninja Man, who he is, and why. I mean, tie it back into the whole Jamaican history of battle culture. Like this is this is a musical society where, going back to the first sound systems before ska, people would you know, the musicians are all off playing on the white side of the island. Basically, they could record ska records for the people, but but their night gigs were playing for rich white people on the other side of the island. So these sound systems evolved where they would play records for the people. And sometimes those two owners of two different sound systems would set up what they called a clash and actually compete head to head. And that got into the toasters as well. So Sting is the place where historically kings were crowned. Like Ninja Man literally demolished Shaba ranks in the early 90s right like made him cry on stage in a cutting contest so set that up like what happened in 2003 at stink 2003 and and you know who's ninja man why is he important and why was vibes cartel on stage with him instead of bounty killer uh, well, exactly. So I think, uh, as you say, so Sting, I think he's on hiatus now. It should be coming back at the end of the year, but it's kind of for decades been the, the biggest music festival in Jamaica. And as you say, the kind of main event always are these clashes. Uh, so that you have this very gladiatorial musical culture in Jamaica where all the big artists are expected to sort of turn up at these clashes and have what you could describe sort of the equivalent of a rap battle. And Ninja Man has always been the kind of the clash artist he's the most you know fearsome uh, of the clash artists and so yeah so a young cartel only just come through in the national scene 2003 he goes on stage instead of bounty killer presumably bounty killer i think was probably a bit scared to clash ninja men cartel goes on instead clearly out of his depth uh and so he, he eventually lashes out and physically attacks and punches ninja man causing him a nosebleed uh and uh, yeah, there's a big kind of ruckus on stage and Cartel was dragged off. 
it's a huge controversy because you're not supposed to you're not supposed to bring physical violence to what's supposed to be a verbal contest. Yeah, it's it's kind of like holy Will Smith Batman. This this was a big break <laughs> uh, with etiquette, but people are already throwing bottles at both performers. Um, to be fair, that that happens all the time anyway. It's uh, part of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the bottling thing, we'll talk about that. But let's hear our next song. This is Gaza Commandments from Vibes Quartel. And that was Vibes Cartel's Gaza Commandments. And you picked this song because it I, it epitomizes a certain stylistic shift. What should people be listening for that's different from Gun Session that we heard at the opening? Well, I mean, the major difference, of course, is that he's auto-tuned there, which he wasn't on Gun Session. He's got a very kind of normal, natural voice there. All of a sudden, the voice has become digitized. But I think beyond that, because that was 2009, that track, and, uh, you know, that would have been a time where American rappers were sort of embracing auto-tune as well. And I just think what Cartel was doing with it is just miles ahead of any of them. I think it was, it was far more rhythmic, far more aggressive. It had no sense of novelty or anything. It's really kind of palpably futuristic, uh, kind of a very a real valid music. It's not a gimmick at all. But yeah, so I think just to compare that to the gun session we heard earlier, you know, it's it's, it's not that far apart time-wise, but it feels a world apart musically. It feels thousands of years in the future. Yeah, and this is this is a weird thing because this was around the time uh, was it T Pain that was sort of running auto tune into the ground in the American scene, and you know ever since that share hit in the late '90s, you know auto tune went from something where allegedly people like Anthony Kiedis were using it so they could sing and tune on, on their big hit ballads, or they were using variants. I don't think auto tune was invented yet when Rick Rubin allegedly helped Anthony Kiedis with with tuning technology, but in the late 90s, you know, it appears on a share track and this basically is a novelty effect, kind of like Jeff Beck using a vocoder uh, or whatever that mouth thing he was using in the 1970s. And then T-Pain comes along and it reminded me of like, you know, the, the mashup culture. I mean, it was just like, you know, kind of doing for autotune what Girl Talk was doing with mashup culture, just going to town with it. And it had a cheesy reputation in the States. But when Vibe Cartel is doing it, it's immediately, at least to me, clear that something more is going on here, that this is not a joke and it's not a limited technique, that there's a lot of potential here. And, you know, do you think that artists like Future in the U.S. is commonly credited with pioneering this style? Is that a fair yeah, I mean, it's difficult to know if there's a direct lineage. So say Future was actually a big Jamaican dancehall fan or not. I mean, but it's definitely, I'd say, a lot of the stuff that people like Future or Young Thug get credit for, I think Cartel was doing earlier and I think better, you know, much more advanced a lot of the time. Yeah. And so let's get back to our drama. So Vibes has blown it at his big opportunity at Sting 2003 by getting physical and, and crossing that line with Ninja Man. How did that play out? And and did that impact the relationship with Bounty Killer or did Vibes' falling out with Bounty Killer come along later for different reasons? 
Well, so you had rumours start swirling around Jamaica after the clash that Vibes Cartel's been shot and killed. Uh, and then that eventually it turns out that's not true. Now, there, there are two differing stories here. Ninja Man claims that he made Vibes Cartel give him $3 million, uh, and he claims that he saved Cartel's life. So I, I presume the implication there being that he is friends in organised crime that were, that were willing to retaliate on his behalf and didn't. Cartel says none of that's true. But nonetheless, it's cool, you know, it's kind of a big, big kind of event, very controversial. And I think it probably helped Cartel's career, to be honest, insofar as, it, uh, you know, any controversy is going to going to push you forward. Um, no. So then then. So that was that was kind of 2003. I think it's 2006 where suddenly Cartel actually has this break from uh, his mentor, Bounty Killer. So after things play out with Bounty Killer and the Alliance, Vibes forms something he calls the Portmore Empire and breaks off with Bounty Killer. Tell us about that. What is the Portmore Empire? And why was Vibes in a position suddenly to break with Bounty Killer and keep going? Because he was, he was on Bounty Killer's label, or they were on the same labels, right? What's the business background going on vis-a-vis -vis record labels and um, the structures that allowed him to, to break free and come into open opposition with Bounty Killer? Yeah, well, it, so the Portmore Empire, also called Gaza, is uh, it's basically cartel alliance. It's him breaking off and doing the same thing. So he then raises a young generation of artists under him. Those include people like Popcorn and Tommy Lee Sparta, who are now these huge artists in Jamaica. Um, and so what happened is uh, the uh, bounty killer in the 90s had this rivalry with a guy called Beanie Man. Beanie Man ended up bar marrying Bounty Killer's ex-girlfriend. And while he was still in the alliance, uh, Cartel showed up at the wedding uh, and sort of uh, he spoke on stage and everything. So I think this was a huge insult to Bounty Killer. And so the two of them then had this split uh, and that caused this huge, they had a kind of a big lyrical war over several tracks and it was kind of a big rupture between the two of them. That's when Cartel launched his own alternative to the, the alliance, which was the Portmore Empire. Vibes seems to thrive in these battle situations. Like, I, it seems like if you put together a greatest hits, uh, a good 20% of them would be these kind of diss tracks. Is that kind of fair? And if Vibes is so good at battles, why did he blow it so badly on stage at staying with Ninja Man? Uh, well, I think... I mean, you're right, yeah, and I think that his sort of war tracks are at least my favourite. Um, he, uh, yeah, I think I think the thing is that there's one, it takes one skill set to sit down, write great lyrics, record a good song. I think it's a whole different thing where you have to go on stage, as you said, people are throwing bottles at you, you have to kind of improvise insults, this kind of thing. So I think it's a sort of, it's just a completely different skill set, you know, doing a diss track is different from kind of this improvised back and forth on stage to a hostile audience. Um, yeah, but as, as, as far as his war tracks go, so throughout his career, you can always kind of, it's almost um, this pattern of any time he's ready for an innovation, some kind of war seems to start that kind of lets him unleash all this new musical energy alongside all this aggressive energy. And has he ever had a major live rap battle like that, the one he was started to have with ninja man has he ever sort of redeemed himself in the live battle field 
Well, so th this leads us on to what's called the Gully versus Gaza War. So this was when, when cartel were... Uh, broke from the alliance, another of Bounty Killer's protégés called Movado stepped forward, stepped forward to kind of defend Bounty Killer. And so Cartel and Movado had this huge lyrical war that, that snowballed into something infinitely bigger than what Cartel and Bounty Killer had had. And those two did clash at Sting 2008. And so you had things of Cartel's there dressed in this kind of army uniform, and he gets his friends to bring out this coffin uh, for Movado and and yeah so those two are, are kind of a, a big big famous iconic uh, clash at Sting in 2008. And tell us about his commercial breakthroughs like he, he had his first commercial breakthroughs in Jamaica in two, early 2000s but by 2009 he's on the verge of becoming an international figure actually Steph tells me we need to take our sponsor break and then when we come back you can tell us about that. Okay, so now tell us about his commercial success. Like, how big is he? When did he first have Jamaican hits? When did he start having international hits? And were his international hits more in the line of collaborations with with American artists? And I know he worked with Eminem and and others. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot a lot of the time, any kind of a dance hall that's sort of internationally famous is very kind of watered down, very sugary, as you say, usually kind of it's not authentically Jamaican because you're working with American producers and other artists and stuff. So I guess he had, he kind of, he'd reached the point of, he was so iconic in Jamaica by the end of the 2000s that you probably get this little period just before his arrest in 2011 where he's, uh, you know, I think he has these attempts to kind of break through to a more international audience or a non-dance audience uh and i think i don't I, I don't think they're particularly commercially successful but aesthetically i think they weren't successful at all really the real cartel is very much a someone uh pivoting themselves for particularly a jamaican audience yeah and that's one thing that's important to keep in mind is that there's a large international dance hall audience and community you have dance hall artists uh from england and germany in particular that'll even go back to jamaica and and engage in clashes and other things so yeah there's a distinction between the international dance hall audience and the international pop audience but by 2011 i mean he's so big tell us about the sort of this peak of fame period because he's on the jamaican reality tv show he's got his own brand of rum tell us kind of about peak um commercially successful vibes cartel and how he was interacting with jamaican culture yeah well, it's funny because i was in school around this time and i sort of remember the way people would come up to him they go oh have you heard of vibes cartel it's this sort of reverence it really was this cultural phenomenon at the time and as you say he had his own brand of rum he had this tv show he also made his own brand of bleaching soap now bleaching is this very controversial thing in jamaica where people actually try and change their skin complexion to make it lighter um, and so Cartel famously did this, which was hugely controversial. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, and so I think this is, as you say, it's sort of this kind of turn of the 2010s. He suddenly ascends to this truly iconic status. He sort of reached the point where he sort of quasi kind of deified in, in certain circles. And I think that was definitely the era in which that took place. Yeah. And and watching interviews with him when he was challenged about the bleaching thing, I mean, he very much phrased it as the idea that bleaching your skin is a, is an expression of low self-esteem or, or negative race consciousness 
he saw that as something in the past. He said like 25, 30 years ago, yeah, that's what it would have been. But for us now, it's just a style. For me, it's a way to make my tattoos pop more and I can use more color uh, in, in the tattoos and, and be seen. Do you see that as like, to me, that struck me as so in sync with his music, like his tracks. When you listen to the Babel tracks with Movado, Movado is very much kind of stuck in Vibes Cartel 2002 and Vibes is going on with this auto-tune stuff into what we're just now catching up, you know, the 2020s. When I hear Vibes stuff from 2011, it fits right in with Travis Scott or whatever from today. Um, do you feel like that some of his conflicts with the establishment in Jamaica is because he's kind of ahead of the pack culturally or is that giving him too much credit? I, th- well, I mean, he, you know, he's definitely iconoclastic and sort of uh, gleefully so. Uh, I think, with as you say, there the the kind of the Gali Gaz war and the Gaza versus the Alliance. It was this almost this proxy culture war in Jamaican music. One of one part of it was this sonic thing, as you say, that Cartel was doing this auto tune sound, kind of totally revolutionary, reinventing music. Whereas people, artists like Mavada and Bounty Killer were far more traditional danceable vocals. And then there was this other aspect, which would be attitudes towards oral sex, uh, you know, kind of a, the skin bleaching, kind of being somewhat sacrilegious in the lyrics, because Jamaica is, I think, more churches per square mile than anywhere on earth. So it's kind of this hyper-religious society. So Cartel, he'd call himself the devil's advocate and things like that. And so, yeah, it was this this cultural and sonic Kind of, it was the past battling the future. I think with with Movado and Cartel being proxies for either end of that spectrum. The thing with Movado that is to me pivotal is, you know, Bob Marley famously brought two feuding Jamaican politicians together. Um, I want to say in 1978 to shake hands on stage, and this is this huge historical moment that sort of replayed itself with with uh, Movado and Vibes Cartel in the 2000s, except it was a politician bringing them together to shake hands. Is that? Yeah, so the, their, their lyrical war had got so out of hand. So there were, ru- there were rumors that fans were killing each other. Some people think that was a bit politicians trying to blame their own failing on kind of entertainers. But I think Movado's car got shot up at the time. And I think it's probably mysterious as to who did that. Um, yeah, so it's kind of very much getting out of control. And so the prime minister, together with all these kind of religious figures and everything, he actually brought Movado and Cartel in to sort of, I think, to kind of have this press conference to say they squashed the war uh, and all this. That was quite short-lived because Movado and Cartel, they kind of routinely had these flare-ups where they're battling each other again. When he's arrested, initially it's it's a raid on his property and he's arrested for marijuana possession. Um, was and from watching the interviews immediately preceding, it did not seem as if the walls were closing in. I did not get a Biggie, Tupac, Suge Knight kind of crisis spiraling vibe from the interviews he was doing right before his arrest. Were there warning signs, or did this just kind of come out of the blue that the legal authorities suddenly come cracking down on him? 
I think I, I think it was a huge shock in Jamaica. Whereas whereas nowadays, all the big artists are routinely getting arrested. Some of them are in prison. You got people getting shot, killed. So it's kind of this horrible spiral of violence that's kind of consumed Jamaican music in the re- recently. But I think that that cartel arrest was sort of really the beginning of this very dark era in in dancehall. I think. And let's hear another track. This is "Sick Enemy Head" from Vibes Cartel. What should we be listening for in that last track, which was sticking in my me head by Vibes Cartel? Well, so I think with the uh, with the track we played earlier, Gaza Commandments, that was just him using auto tune, and that was that in itself was innovative. I think here what we're getting is very interesting thing where he's taking that auto-tune digitized voice and he's actually now expanding the kind of timbres, the kind of textures, the kind of sounds you can get out of it. And so I think this interesting period of Cartel in the 2010s is that that's very much his musical contribution at that time is is saying that auto-tune isn't just this one T-Pain-esque robot voice sound, that actually he's using it in a way that's far more like a synthesizer where you can get a million different sounds out of one synthesizer. Uh, And so that track, you know, his voice sounds sort of totally bubbly. It sounds a little bit dusty. It's very different from that quite sleek geometric sound that he was getting in his earlier auto-tuned works. And if you listen to tracks throughout that period, kind of 2014 to 2016, 2017, the, uh, the the array of different weird kind of digital voices he can get out of himself track by track is is kind of i think that that really introduces you to this notion of a distinctly kind of a 21st century sonic futurism or musical paradigm and i want to backtrack a little bit because because one of the subjects that that movado and vibes feuded about was oral sex what is this controversy about oral sex that what are the lines who's on what side what's taboo what's not so oral sex has always been a taboo in dancehall. Uh, it, you, usually it's people, uh, it's got with you, that'd be kind of songs that are violently decrying cunnilingus, so that if you, if you perform cunnilingus, you're going to get executed and all this kind of thing. Um, uh, but then you also had a bit a more of an unsaid taboo, which is about fellatio. And basically cartel, though he, though he never, though he was still anti-cunnilingus, he was pro-fellatio. He thought it was a wonderful thing. So all his lyrics was talking about receiving fellatio, and uh, and whereas I think Bounty Killer and Mavada thought no, they 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 still thought that was taboo. So you did have this kind of a, uh, as I, as I say, you're having this this kind of sexual. Uh, and more and religious kind of more progressive outlook matched with this this sonic pushing things into the future as well yeah it, it's uh you know you have to to learn enough about the culture to know what's going on with their different um you know with with, with their culture wars and and so it's it's hard to 
put myself in this place. It reminds me of the Sopranos. I think I think some of the characters on the Sopranos were very anti cunnilingus. So something that you saw in the states uh, with guys born in the 1920s or the 1940s or whatever. Uh, happening in jamaica and i don't mean to say that you know the united states is ahead of jamaica or whatever but people are just different in different places in their cultural uh evolution it's just interesting it's also <laughs> the guy comes out as i'm pro blowjob that's a very bold stance of uh, social progress i guess takes baby steps but um but vibes's career didn't stop when he got arrested and it's hard to say it's even really slowed what's his productivity been like since he's been in prison, how's he recording this stuff, releasing it? And I mean, it's obviously he's recording this stuff in jail. Is it just things are so corrupt that they can't or won't stop it? Or well, that's the thing. So, because if he gets caught doing it, he, I think you'd have to go to solitary confinement. I mean, he was recently, I don't know if in the last year or so, I think he's moved from one prison to another. And the rumors on the internet, however believable they are, they, they were arguing that one of the reasons might be to try and stop him smuggling music out. Uh, so no one quite knows how he's doing it. But he's, and, and I think his legal team say, oh no, this is all pre-recorded music. But that seems rather suspicious, given that he's talking about very topical things. So, you know, he'll, he'll be clashing uh, an artist called Alkaline, who didn't come out until 2013. And of course, Cartel's been in prison since 2011. He'll talk about Thanos and you know, sort of modern pop culture, and he'll clash new artists. So he's, he's clearly talking about stuff that's happened since he's been in prison. Um, but the interesting thing musically is it, it, you get the impression, the kind of the audio quality of the vocals he's recording in prison are very poor. And, but that's not, that's not actually a bad thing because what it means is that you get lots of producers actually kind of adding loads of effects to the voice, maybe slightly pitch shifting them, uh, adding a whole kind of, yeah, a whole arsenal of different effects to the voice to disguise this poor audio quality. But what it ends up doing is actually making the voice sound very futuristic and very cutting edge. So it's sort of sonically, at least the prison might have given him his artistry, a kind of a new lease on life. Yeah, I mean, and it, it just sort of builds on and accelerates the direction he was already going in uh, with autotune before he was arrested. So it's fascinating. But what's the sort of chrono chronological narrative of these um taboo releases what, what were some of the first ones and who's been producing these tracks and he's worked with celebrity international producers correct uh, i think he has done yeah i mean as i say it's sort of i mean the thing with with cartel particularly is that there are there are sort of a million different cartels there's a kind of a an r&b cartel there's a cartel who's making songs with eminem uh you know there's a there's even a reggae cartel and then of course there's sort of probably the cartel i i like to push probably a bit more aggressive and a bit more musically innovative but he's yeah i mean he's working with all the kind of top producers in jamaica at the moment he's uh he he had he is sort of his big first post-prison breakthrough tracks would have been he had a war with this artist alkaline who'd come out he then had a he had a reignited his war with movado in 2016 and then he's, uh, and then at the turn of the 2020s, he sort of embraced this new sound called trap dancehall. He's sort of early popularizer of that. So he's done, you know, he's kind of repeatedly been at the cutting edge, even what now that he spent, you know, 11 years in prison. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's just fascinating to me, especially watching the Young Thug K 
case and the whole Young Thug career playing out, it's almost like Vibes Cartel is like a preview of coming attractions of what's going to be happening in um, the American and international hip hop world. It's it's um, really fascinating that this guy is sort of an avatar for what's coming next and and have. It's like it seems like his release is slowed though. Like in 2011, 2012, there's a flood of singles. 2013 still pretty heavy, but but after 2014, it kind of tapers off. Um, do you see what do you see in terms of the ebb and flow of his productivity in the prison years? I mean, it's it's hard to say. I mean, because every year he's having these you know huge tracks. You know, he's sort of he's still played at all the parties. You, you, as a fan, you're not really uh, seeing his momentum slow down at all. I mean, as you say, maybe if you if you measured it more uh, arithmetic, to, you know, if you kind of counted each track, it might be different. But yeah, he uh, as far as a cultural figure and as having big tunes and everything, he's still top of the top you know still amongst the biggest artists in the in the genre and in the music and one thing i noticed in watching interviews with fans in jamaica was definitely free world boss seemed to be like the first thing people were saying and some of them would insist on his innocence but a lot of them didn't even bother insisting on his innocence what's your feel for the perception of his innocence is he believed to be innocent or is it believed that it doesn't matter if he's guilty he should be free anyway well, he's uh, he's always maintained his his innocence. Uh, he, I mean, so the thing at the time, sort of around the time of his legal case, he started trying to sort of present himself as a kind of a, a political prisoner, and so he uh, he released this book called The Voice of the Jamaican Ghetto, and on the cover, he's, he's sort of a Photoshop of of his face over Malcolm X. I think in the introduction or something, he sort of says he's like Che Guevara. So he, he was trying to basically say it was the system had, uh, had kind of entrapped him because of his kind of political proclamations. And I mean, you, you would, I mean, I think it's quite common in Jamaica to have political, you know, lyrics, more, more common than you get in America. But, uh, but I, he wasn't particularly a political artist um, beforehand. He probably released a, a few more cultural tunes around the time of his imprisonment to kind of gain sympathy. But yeah, so I think you'd probably, lots of people subscribe to more conspiratorial theories about him. But I mean, you know, I think as, as we see all the time, people can do some terrible things and still have these adoring fandoms who, as you say, might not even care, even if they think they did do it, might not even care. And I think with Cartel, I mean, I suppose it's a, you know, people might think that's kind of an inevitable part of uh, gang life. You know, if you get caught up in that, you expect that you might get killed. And let's hear our last track. This is Millennium Gallus from Vibes Cartel. You promise Things that they know is like 345 Get your girl wet and all know me But like she told me that they don't see to a night We chill out like what to treat and that was Vibes Cartel's Millennium Gallus. What should we be listening for on that track? Well, I think by that point we're totally at a different 
different end of a musical spectrum from the first track we heard. So I think, so obviously we've got the, the digitized voice there, but now you've got totally different drum patterns. We don't even have normal drum patterns now. There's they're this kind of weird hybrid of kind of a US traps kind of, you know, bass and kind of that weird kind of rattling clockwork hi-hats and things like that. So there's a whole new rhythmic language instrumentally, the whole kind of a also with the instrumentals the arrangement you know a whole is very much more psychedelic much more druggy kind of sound so it's the, the music the instrumentals have caught up with the implied psychedelia i think of a lot of those vocals that we were talking about him developing in the uh, 2010s and i think it yeah it really kind of bookmarks one end of his career from the other that you've you've had he started as someone making kind of ragga dancehall bashment and i think it's reached the point where every facet of the music from the vocals through to the rhythm, through to the instrumentation, it's a whole new genre now. So I think you'd be hard pressed to sort of say that he, he's making the same music he was making 20 years ago. There's been a huge development there, a kind of a, the birth of a whole new sound. And he's been the crucial figure in sort of implementing that every step of the way. And one thing that jumps out at me because kind of one of the big battle lines in, in hip hop in the 2010s in America was this battle between lyricism and mumble rap was the slur that, that older rappers tend to throw at the younger ones where it's less about the lyricism. And it's not like you've had to study your Rakim record since you were five years old to get out and, and get on stage. You can be Lil Xan or whatever, um, clearly picking up a microphone uh, relatively recently, but Vibes to me, it seems like he still has a lot more of that lyricism. Like, how how is that sort of balance being tilted? Has lyricism been in opposition to his use of vocal effects, or has he kept the lyricism up as well? Yeah, no, that's very interesting. Actually, I hadn't quite thought of it like that. I think you're right. So I think in America, you do have this kind of polarization between embracing you could sort of this kind of vocal dada in the you know bit like young thug and that kind of thing uh, or more traditional as you say rakim and all that nas uh, in jamaica it's sort of been the opposite that actually dance has got more and more lyrical in the rap sense in at, at, during the same period where you've had this embrace of digitized voices so if you think not just cartel but you know the kind of big artists now they'll be the kind of the way you make a name for yourself it seems in dance at the moment is to number one have a new way of using autotune and a novel new sound with it and number two to be kind of show off your lyrical talent and so those are those are the kind of the vocal dada the autotune vocal dada and the uh, and the, the lyricism go hand in hand which in a way which as you say is sort of completely inverse from the narrative and the discourse in the states and from this conversation, I mean, it seems clear that his rivals in 2003, you know, Ninja Man, and then by the mid 2000s, it's Bounty Killer and Movado, and now it's a whole new crew. How have Ninja Man and Bounty Killer and Movado fared in the ensuing decades? Are they are are they kind of relics of the past? Did vibes banish them, or have they continued to evolve and stay popular as well? Well, uh, Ninja Man, I don't want to speak out of turn. I know he was in prison. I still believe he is in prison. So he's in prison. Also, he's, I mean, he's very old because he was famous, I guess, in the 80s. So, you know, I think he's just had that inevitable thing where any, you know, the, the kind of music he makes is just sort of totally not in the zeitgeist anymore. Bounty Killer is, uh, is actually made up with Cartel recently. 
And funnily enough, now I think he started to diss Movado. So it's an old thing. Movado's still popular, uh, still still uneasy relationship with cartel. They're still at war. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if, I think it's sort of, you know, at this point, it'd be a bit like, I guess, in the way that maybe punk made all these prog rock acts seem sort of antiquated cartels done that to the people who came before him. You know, there's, there's, there's before cartel and after cartel in dancehall. There's going to be a whole generation of anything before cartel started using auto tunes, just going to sound ab- abjectly ridiculous and antiquated and old. Uh, so he's really is the kind of beginning of a whole new musical movement that spawned millions of stars since and I guess people like Bounty and Ninja Man and to a lesser extent Movado were on the wrong side of that dividing line. And so has he carried the day vibes? I mean, has he carried the day culturally as well as aesthetically as his views on oral sex and bleaching and tattoos, et cetera, become more dominant or, or has the other side kind of beaten him back on any of those fronts? Oh, so he's definitely sort of, he's remade Jamaican music in his image. So now all all the big young artists, so many of them bleach, you know, bleach their skin. Uh, yeah, they've got the tattoos, which Movado would always take the piss out of him for. Now they, you know, the young one's got the tattoos. They've all got the auto-tune. They do a bit more sacrilegious lyrics like him. You know, as as we say, like loads of kind of uh, blowjobs flying around in the music. Uh, he's sort of very, very much... It's it's sort of him. He's like the Beatles or something. It's kind of everyone's come out of him. He's sort of, he's, they're all in his image. I see. And who are some of his proteges, and and who's dominant in the scene now besides him? Well, so I, I mean, in the in the 2020s, you've two guys, one called Skeng and one called Skillabang. They're huge at the moment. They're possibly going to be the first people who really actually, you know, maybe kind of give Gen Z their own people who aren't cartel they're so though and they they you know they're very much auto-tuned very much about the lyricism i think they both cite cartel as an influence so they're them i mean before them you have some uh, big artists like popcorn and tommy lee sparta were both gaza artists alkaline even though he was uh, at war with cartel the way he kind of made a name for himself is he's very bleached so i think his name alkaline is a reference to skin bleaching soap uh he kind of he did kind of bit bit sacrilegious lyrics he was doing weird voice stuff so he's very much in cartel's image even if the two of them are rivals so it's yeah kind of any, any anyone you care to think of in dance or especially anyone who's pushing things along musically it's they're all they're all cartel's children yeah and how do you handicap dance halls um, prospects for continued international breakouts right now? Are there any markets that seem particularly open to dance hall or any international scenes that uh, they're collaborating with? I know that you um, did a pretty good diagnosis of the way that Brooklyn drill and London drill were interacting um, in pop smokes career. What do you see as the opportunities and potential for dance hall in the international scene in the next decade? Yeah, well, you, you've had the thing. Firstly, it's spread more around the Caribbean uh, recently. So there was you had a spate of what was called Trinidad, so kind of Trinidad dance hall. And you see the artists like touring different islands in the Caribbean and kind of specifically trying to kind of uh, build these audiences there. Uh, Skeng, who I mentioned earlier, the, sort of the big artist of the last year or two, he's a uh, 
he came to London recently and he did a sort of a, a ridiculous song where he goes London, done, done, done over and over. And so he's, he's specifically trying to cultivate a London audience. I mean, here in, here in London, we kind of dance has always been our big thing, but it's, you know, it's bigger than rap. If you go to school in London, you're going to have more people listening to Jamaican dance hall than American rap. But I think in the last year or so, it's been, it's been in hyperdrive. I think we've kind of, really reconnected with our love of uh, of Jamaican music. So, yeah, and I think at the moment it feels like on the precipice of a breakthrough. There's an artist called Skillabang and he's, a, a, you know, he's sort of had Nicki Minaj do remixes of his songs. From maybe, I don't know if he's sort of connected with like DJ Khaled or something. So, yeah, I think we may well be seeing a big explosion of Jamaican music across the world again. And it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And, and watching the way Vibes Cartel as either influenced or prophesied developments in, in American music. I think it's, it always behooves you to pay attention uh, to what's going on in Jamaica. And that Jamaican-UK alliance, uh, that's why we have, that's why ska and reggae broke out internationally and dance hall too. So, and of course it's where British genres like jungle, you know, were heavily influenced by this. So good to see these, uh, transatlantic cross-pollination is still going on. And so my guest has been Kit McIntosh. The book is Neon Screams, How Drill, Trap, and Bashment Made Music New Again. We've been focusing on one subset of that book, Vibes Cartel. So Kit, thanks so much for coming back and hope to have you again. Thank you very much. Cheers. Follow the Letter Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast, and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Thursday, Nate welcomes back Brooks Long to discuss David Ritz's biography of CBS Records boss Walter Yetnikoff. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcast.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.